The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. The crisis is not over. And next year may well be, 2023, may be much more difficult than this year. That was Fatih Birol, Executive Director of the International Energy Agency, speaking last year about the threat of even more volatility in gas prices. What will happen to the commodity this year is the focus of this week's Views Room. Welcome back to the Views Room, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. 2022 was a year where gas prices dominated headlines. Companies tried to figure out how they would handle these extra costs. But looking to 2023, the picture is less clear. Here to talk to me about it is George Hay, who is our oil and gas expert as well as EMEA editor of Breaking Views. So, George, the the headlines we're seeing now is that gas prices have come down. Europe, which has been very obviously highly impacted by the uh, war in Ukraine, um, that they have plenty of gas, uh, much more so than they thought that they would they would need. Um, So what what do you think about 2023? Are we expecting that gas prices will stay low, that they will get lower? Yeah, I mean, I I I suppose the first thing to say is they're not low by historical standards. If you look at the the last 10 years, um, the kind of, you know, price of um, uh, gas in Europe for delivery in the next month or so would have been like somewhere between 15 and 20 euros per megawatt hour. Um, and currently, and you know, so, so basically, a bit of context, last year, it got up to about 10 times that, like, you know, uh, nudging around 300, um, which is obviously... Right, completely. Most anyone whose input costs of gas or anything goes up that to that degree of um, uh, magnitude has a bit of a problem. Now, the reason for the good cheer and happy new year that, that you're talking about is that um, those prices, I mean, they'd already come, they'd already come off those massive highs to about kind of maybe 140, 150. Since, you know, in the last month, they basically come off. Um, They've come off. They've, they've halved. They're, they're basically somewhere in around the 60, 70 level, and that's clearly that's clearly great. But as I say, it's not as good as where it was. It's still kind of three or four times um, above where we were. Um, now, the reason why it's come off so sharply in the last month is basically down to two things. Firstly, it's quite warm. People will notice that. I mean, you know, a month ago it was really pretty nippy for. A week or so but like it generally it's unseasonably warm at the moment and the forecast for the time being um looks like being it looks like being pretty warm as well um the other thing is that for the entirety of last year um pretty much since uh, february when uh, russia invaded ukraine um european leaders to their credit worked out that after um you know 15 20 years of pretty much basing all their energy policy on Russia and Russian gas coming into Europe. They worked out that they needed to kind of do a handbrake turn of kind of pretty epic proportions. And um, the, the first thing, the, the, the key area of focus um, in the whole of last year was basically building up storage. 
And the way the gas market works is you basically you, you, you build up um, a, you know, a sufficient amount of storage to be able to kind of run that down in the winter months. And um, so in order to get ahead of that, you, need to, you basically kind of end up pretty much getting down to quite low levels of storage by the end of winter, March, April, and then you build it up during the summer months and you get to, you know, um, October and November and you, you have as much as, you know, as a fairly good level. Now, what's happened in uh, the last, you know, four or five months is that uh, Europe has really put their foot down really uh, and really kind of... So the, the average um, for, the, uh, for, the, for the storage levels in Europe at this time of year, which is bearing in mind kind of already in winter, would usually be something like uh, 50 or 60%. And um, it's more like 80 or 90% at the moment. And so what that says um, is uh, people can see that it's warm weather anyway, and therefore you don't need to use so much gas for, for heating, first of all. And secondly, to the extent that um, a load of uh, Russian supply that we would have been able to count on in the past is not going to be there this year um, that doesn't matter so much because we've got so much in storage and that's quite that's why everyone is kind of chilling out a little bit and that's why the prices have come down but that um, that handbrake turn that you talked about that Europe took hmm. that obviously has an impact then on on the future right because right. we're in this winter but we have another winter to get through right. and the level that they were able to build up that Europe was able to build up was partly because they did actually let things keep running for a little while right, right. and that has really been kind of dramatically pulled back what are sort of the thoughts on yes we're in a mild winter now but to what extent can yeah, they keep well, those stores i suppose yeah up? i mean the, the, the whole so the, the the name of the game is um by October, when the next winter kind of starts to kick in, um, how high are those stores, stores going to be? And um, the key, and this is the, this is the area in which um, you might, if you wanted to be, be a, a little bit more uh, pessimistic about where we are. Um, basically, um, Russia was providing such a large proportion, you know, a third or more of um, Europe, Europe's gas that. If they just switch that off, as they have substantially done, I mean, it's more than three quarters below where it was. Um, if they switch that off, then even if you try, even if you want to do a handbrake turn, it's quite difficult to to do one in that that period of time. And the thing that has basically allowed Europe to um, to do it is liquefied natural gas. And this is like gas, which you don't go through a pipeline; you just um, freeze it and stick it on a, on, a, um, on a ship and it goes anywhere around the world. And we have uh, massively increased in Europe our uh, imports of liquefied natural gas from US and from various other places. And um, that is a massive positive. That's, you know, and that's, that's, that's great. It's great that we've been able to do that. The only trouble with um, LNG is that uh, it is, it, it's quite a, it's a very, very responsive market to whatever the world price is doing or whatever, more to the point, the price is doing in individual places. So part of the reason why, I mean, the, the LNG has not been flowing to Europe because everyone thinks Europeans are so great. It's, it's, it's more that the, the, the prices we were talking about earlier have been so through the roof that anyone who's selling this stuff is just obviously going to sell it to Europe. 
Now, there's a double-edged sword with uh, the price coming down to where it has been, uh, currently now, like 60 or 70, um, because, um, it, you know, to the, it may be the case that uh, it is now more worth the while of people who sell LNG to sell it to Japan, Pakistan, other Asian countries. And th- this particular issue is last year, um, a lot of... It wasn't the reason why so much um, uh, LNG flew to, uh, flowed to Europe was not just because um, everyone just produced a load more LNG. It was because a lot of LNG that would have gone to Asia went to us instead. And so the issue is, um, if you think that Asia is going to, for whatever reason, demand a lot more LNG um, than they did last year, then. If that if if you if if that's what actually ends up happening, then we might have a hole in our consumption, uh, in, in our in our supply. Sorry, and 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 that would mean that we'd have to cut demand or or, or have some kind of plan B, and the, and that's the, the obvious problem here is that um, when it comes to you know if, this whole question of is is Asia going to demand uh, more LNG or more energy this year. There's a pretty good reason why they might do that, and uh, China, for example, you know, <laughs> has has basically spent a lot of its time in the last uh, couple of years in a pretty stringent lockdown, and it's now in the process of reversing that, right? Yeah, where you'd see demand increase, right, for almost well, everything. Yeah, right? exactly. So you you um, China was a big reason why um, the LNG that's usually consumed in Asia came this way to, to Europe uh, last year. Um, it wasn't the only reason. It was probably the biggest single one. Though. And so pretty obviously, if they're just suddenly kind of their economy is uh, opening up again and they're consuming a lot more, then um, it's a bit of an open... At the very minimum, it's a, it's a, it's an open question about where that LNG goes. And the, the, the issue for European industry and... Uh, um, I mean, European industry in particular, because generally, if you look, the, the, it's, the consumption in Europe is basically split kind of equally between households using it to heat their, their houses, um, power stations using it to create electricity, and then industry using it, like big chemicals companies like BASF. Um, they use huge amounts of gas and to, to, to kind of make their stuff. And what's been happening is that industrial demand has been taking up the slack of um, taking up the kind of strain of um, uh, the fact that there's just hasn't been so much gas to go around. Because even though we've had loads of LNG, um, there's, in places like Netherlands and uh, Germany, they've still reduced demand by something like 15, 20%. Um, and the big question for, so, you know, another way of thinking about it is if you're, if you're uh, running a company like BASF at the moment, would you just be looking at the, the fact that prices have halved now, and would you just be doing backflips and like being, you know, happy? Happy days are here again. I mean, no, you wouldn't, because you also know you, you know what we've just been talking about. You know that the demand in in Asia is likely to pick up. You know that um, there's a limited supply of LNG in the short term, and you know that um, Russia is unlikely to just uh, start being best mates with us again. Or, or more to the point, vice versa. Um, and so all that adds up to a pretty uncertain picture. 
2023. But there is a sort of another sort of geopolitical element to this, right? Which is that China and Russia are close, we'll say. And there is, is there a possibility that Russia could send that gas to China, Asian partners? Yeah, and so, so this has kind of been happening with um, oil to a, to a certain extent. It's more, I mean, in order to kind of ship, you know, you can, you can ship gas via LNG, but otherwise you, have, you need to kind of have um, big enough pipeline infrastructure to do that. I mean, that's more been an issue with um, oil, the... Um, you know, a lot of the oil that hasn't been going to uh, the places, you know, the Western places that are, have uh, uh, have a particular problem with the Ukraine war, um, that you know that has been going to China to an extent, that's been going to India to an extent. But so that that could potentially help. But um, you know, we're, again, we're kind of talking about the short term, like you know, people's. People aren't particularly. Uh, uh, <laughs> people's relationship to energy is they just expect it to be there. You, you, they're not going to be particularly happy if <laughs> if it's if there's a place to deliver it in like two years or something. That's people need it now, mm. and that's the that's the particular problem. That's the reason why there was a particular shock last February with uh, with uh, with Russia and Ukraine because it's immediately obvious that everything. 20, 30 years of European energy policy was now kind of immediately out the window. Yeah. And that's what we're kind of living through at the moment. So those that, that idea of like, as you say, consumers, companies, everyone is sort of looking at the energy market, trying to figure out what it means for them. I mean, even I remember looking at Heineken's results, they were talking about that there was going to be an impact by energy prices. If you were looking at what we're seeing today, would you be better off sort of sticking to that guidance, which is that the energy market is going to be more costly, it's going to be an issue? Or at what point do you think that people could start to say, well, actually, this is better than we expected and maybe our costs won't be as high? Well, I think, um, I mean, the logic of what we've been discussing is that you should be, you know, it's there is a kind of upside risk, you could put it that way, but, like, your central scenario should be that... Um, it's more like if you if you decide to kind of mass, be massively more optimistic um, based on the fact that gas prices have halved um, and certain things are going right well, um, you are liable to look rather stupid later in the year or next year when we've had, you know, a, a, an even bigger beast from the east or whatever, you know, a weather bomb or whatever, something that kind of means that we have uns, uns, unseasonably cold weather. Um and the LNG hasn't flowed, and suddenly the demand, you know, the demand to European industrials has to go down even further. And they, I mean, the the point is, we've it's been what's happened in twenty twenty two is a combination of uh, good policy, you know, in terms of filling up the storage and understanding what needed to be done, but also good luck basically because we've had you know warm weather and. Um, and then I suppose a bit of good practice or good judgment in terms of the um, the big industrial companies have been able to cut their demand um, for gas while still kind of just about keeping their heads above water. But like if you if you look at it in its entirety, you the only way to kind of be particularly confident that everything's going to be fine in 2023 is just to assume that exactly those things happen mm. again and. That 
that kind of overstates well that understates the effect of luck in that mix I would say but then you know maybe I'm just a extreme pessimist well (laughs) maybe you're right though maybe maybe I suppose the the bull case is that we have a lot of companies that come out and say actually things are better than we thought later yeah. on in the year yeah. uh, or maybe it's as bad as we thought and obviously yeah. the worst case I mean yeah put it put it worse. this way if i if, if i'm running a company uh, a big you know, heineken or anyone who just uses a lot of gas um, would i rather a scenario of just going don't worry everything's great like you know everything's normal again and then looking like a complete fool <laughs> at the end of the year or would i rather say put on my stern face at the next uh, results and say it's still very difficult still very uncertain and then at the end of the year uh, actually things are much better and Bonanza. Pe- people think you're great um, absolutely probably the latter right so. absolutely uh well george we will all be following uh, very closely your views on breaking views about uh the oil and gas market and very nice to chat to you as always good to talk thanks for tuning in this podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Acast, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.